So why am I doing this? I'm starting this podcast because we all have a story and finances play a part in our struggles and successes. If we can learn from the many mistakes many others have made, we can make sure that more of us are successful. Like the quote says, to increase the chances of success, we must increase our failure rate. To be honest, I failed a ton. I will bring people from all walks of life, but mostly service members. If you have a story you would like to share, do not hesitate to reach out. From the go, like and subscribe to this podcast so many others can benefit. Welcome back to Financial Neighbor Podcast. Today we have Swampy, quite possibly the most prolific EOD tech or bomb tech in the Ukrainian conflict. Uh, if you've probably found him in, in social media, bring me the Swampy. This guy's doing awesome stuff. Everybody that is in the in the business talks about him. And if you're a service member concerned about what's actually going on in the conflict, that's what we're going to get to. So Swampy, how you doing, man? dude this is a it's great it's an it's an honor man i've been following you for a long time and and you you're doing awesome stuff and it's so funny i remember being in in uh in team rooms and being like oh man look what this guy just did you know it's just crazy so you're doing you're doing awesome stuff uh with that i want to i want to get right to it what is your main concern with the uxos and mines in ukraine right now Right now, I mean, the, the situation in Ukraine in regards to mines and UXOs, I think a lot of people have to look, remember and look back the the fact that this conflict started in 2014. So we've had UXO um, and landmines in the ground and on the ground since 2014. Prior to that, obviously, you had the Second World War as well. So we still have World War II ordnance on the ground. Oh, wow. But if we're going to fast track to, obviously, the full-blown invasion from Russia last year in February... Um, just the sheer volume of artillery and mortar alone that's been used uh, along the front line and, and all across the country, anywhere where the conflict has been, they're just levels that haven't really been seen in Europe since World War II. There's, there's no other conflict that I can think of or from speaking with other friends and colleagues that, that they can think of, you know, it, mm-hmm. it outweighs everything. That That's, that's crazy. And how is it a, because like you said, volume is a, it's a bigger problem, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, did you ever do any of the Afghanistan, Iraq deployments when, or did they ever do any of that? No, I didn't. No. Great. Probably a better thing. So it's, to me, I just think of, we went from the sheer volume of IEDs, which is one thing, but we got, it became very repetitive, right? But the amount, the volume that you can put in via artillery and mortars is exponentially higher. So there's a much higher chance to get hurt. I can, I can only imagine. Um, and how, how is it affecting you guys on the counteroffensive? What are you hearing from that? Um, I mean, the, the effect on the counteroffensive has been massive. And I, I, I try to play devil's advocate and look at both sides of this. Both sides are in a position where they really can't move without the chance of losing heavy amounts of personnel and vehicles due to the, right. the mine threat. Um, I mean, at the moment, they're saying that Ukraine is probably the most mined country on the planet. Well, if we take into account that they said that it used to be either Afghanistan or Burma, uh, Burma, they reckoned was somewhere around six and a half million landmines as a rough estimate. Now, this is only off the top of my head. It's not written down anywhere. I would say that we're probably looking at the seven to eight million mark, at least wow. of, of mines in the ground. Um, and the, the effect it's had on the counteroffensive is huge. Right. Because there's been so much fighting on both sides and so much laying, and, and that is on both sides, uh, whether it be defensive mines by the Ukrainians 
or offensive and nuisance mines by the Russians that have then turned into defensive belts. Up and down the front line now, we're looking at a, a stretch between a kilometer to three or four kilometers wide, which is just mined. And the mapping, it there, there is mapping that's starting to come up now that the Ukrainians have managed to make some pushes in the counteroffensive and take positions where they've managed to secure Russian mapping. Um, but by no means does it cover all the mines right. around. Wow. And, and with that, what you just said is something that I don't think we've put enough thought into it. How many mines, so how many, you, are, are the Ukrainian forces dealing with a lot of Ukrainian mines and a lot of Ukrainian UXO as they're starting to push on the counter? Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. So that's something that we, th we, we often negate, right? We always expect to deal with the adversary's ordinance and all of a sudden you're dealing with your own. Granted, while you may have the solution to it, it doesn't totally negate the risk of the, of the job. Now, on, on people, how much stuff, or what can you share, how much work is being done by either no uh, personnel with no EOD training or very little EOD training? Um, I would say that 60 to 80% of the people that are clearing mines and UXO on the front line are doing it on a, on a base amount of a month's training, if that. Um, wow. As much as it pains me to say it, a lot of that training is quite questionable. Um, really? So we, we train a lot of units up and down uh, the country, uh, whether it be Army, National Guard, um, Territorial Defense units. And we try to get a minimum of a week with guys. And for that week, it, it is basically just mine risk education, mine awareness, wow. the basics of, of DEMS if you do find stuff and you are able to deal with it, it you know, it's... It's a victim-activated landmine. It's not seismic. It's not acoustic. You know, the, anything like that, we just teach to mark and avoid if we can. Mm -hmm. uh, even just being able to get access to a unit for a week is very, very hard. Really? A lot of the time, these, these units are being rotated off the front. They might only have a maximum of a week off before they get sent back to the front line. So you're getting guys straight off the front line. They've got their own physical mental health issues to deal with during that time, right as well as getting their personal admin in order and then they're straight back to the front line it's it's a very hard environment to try and teach people in yeah how long are they in the in the front line before they get that week-long break i mean the there is units there were certainly units last year that hadn't been rotated out of places like Bakhmut and solidar for at least three months wow you know, that's uh, insane and that's in some of the heaviest fighting areas mm-hmm Okay. That's, that's a lot. So I'm asked, I have a bunch of questions that people from Instagram put out. Uh, and so this guy asked why the lack of pool lines, right? And maybe this is something that he hasn't seen. Are you guys teaching the hook and line methods and are you teaching that at the lowest level? So this is basic. Oh yeah. yeah it's absolutely basic because of the sheer amount of booby trapping that goes on in Ukraine. We okay. do not, we do not physically manhandle anything. UXO, it's a bit different, you know, Okay. if, if you can if you can take a look at it and you believe it's safe to move, then that is on on the head of the person that's moving it. Right. But when it when it comes to mines, there's so much booby trapping now. Even if it's above the ground on a on a brand new tarmac road and it just looks like a tank mine, we still right. pull everything from distance. Really? Okay. Uh, that, that that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you if you take like the the standard um, Soviet tank mine, the TM62M or the TM62P. 
when we pull them, we won't approach them until we've done at least two or three rotations and been able wow. to flip no. for a number of axes because mm -hmm. of the way they're being booby-trapped. Right. And, and for anybody listening, this is, this is good practice, right? And that is something that I personally have, you know, we have to teach to people that are way less trained. But sometimes there's a cost balance, right, that like it's either only EOD takes doing the job or everybody pulling safely, yeah. right? I personally rather have, you know, you can blow miles up and miles of rope. It really doesn't matter. You know, just don't blow yourself up. So I'm glad to hear that that is an outlier and it answers that person question. With that, uh, are you guys using any Miklicks, APOBs, anything like that to clear the minefields or it's all having to be done by personnel? So we just don't have enough of them. Wow. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, this is on like a government agency level. Uh, so we do a lot of work with VOD police and they are, they are crying out for Miklicks. Uh, mm -hmm. And even, even they are struggling to get them. And, and this is the chief of VOD for the country, for the police. Mm -hmm. um, we've had access in the past to Miklicks. I've never used them myself because uh, when we have had access to them, it was the Swedish ones. I forget the designation for it now. Um, but they were, they were missing parts or they were, they were missing manuals or the rocket motors didn't work, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's a huge yeah. problem. And then if, if we take that a step up and look at uh, vehicle-towed Miklik, the sheer threat from drones now, that mm. lovely, huge uh, Miklik vehicle can be defeated by a $200 Chinese drone with a, with a Vogue 17 strapped to it. Yeah, yeah. So, that... It, it, uh, rules it out, makes it useless. And, and to your point, I've actually, <laughs> I always laugh about this. I've been to uh, South Korea and in the Philippines shooting South Korean and American Miklicks, and there's always a misfire. It's like, great. I wish if they always worked, it would be awesome, but they rarely do. So it's, a, it's almost a, it's a bigger problem because now you have all that explosive just laying out. Yeah. So, I mean, that, we just, Sorry, just to add on to that. Yeah. Uh, what we've had to resort to now, um, when I was back in the country in July, uh, we were just working with one of the, the main units making the push in and around the, um, the back mode Solidar area. And what, we're having to, what we were having to do with them was a pile of testing on a range. And we were literally taking 50 grain primer cord and braiding it with three strands and mm -hmm. strapping a water bottle to the front. And just how far can you throw this? Yeah, you know that works. I, I, yeah, I mean that's that's what it's come down to at this point. You know, it's yeah. it's all very well people saying, "Oh, but Ukraine's getting millions of dollars worth of mining demining equipment." Yeah, but that's big machines. You know, it it doesn't go to the combat engineers that are trying to batter their way through the front line right now. Yeah, yeah, and I actually just saw uh, through our, our contact Flanders, uh, I saw that new tool that you guys got that like unscrews the fuse and pops out the mine out and uh, coming like a rocket wrench uh, or MIW, sorry. And I thought that was like, this is one of the coolest tools I've ever seen. I, I could literally teach an infantryman to use this. It's like, bro, just go put it on, unscrew it, you'll be fine. Leave it there for a few hours. If it's still happy, then I'll go blow it up. But uh, that's really cool. Are you guys getting any other tools that are practical for, uh, for uh, maybe mine clearing or explosive defeat? while under fire are you do guys doing anything under fire um so i've i've not had to in a while um i was doing stuff last um last towards last winter uh the end of last autumn uh working with a, a unit outside of cremina 
And we were fortunate in that sense. We were, we were getting shot out with cluster munitions every day while we were clearing, um, but we were in the forest. So it was a catch-22. Um, it's a bit scary at times because they were making quite big pushes from time to time in the forest. But at the same time, it did give you a little bit of overhead cover from from drones. Right. Um, but that that's the closest I've been to in a while for actually having to clear under fire. And it's, it's certainly not been... Um, making assaults onto positions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing when I when I came back into Ukraine last January, uh, sorry, last February when the invasion happened, I I have tried to predominantly stick to only doing EOD and not being involved in the fighting as much as right. possible. Um, because I do believe that I have a skill and and the background knowledge from the country to be able to just try and train as many people to, to do their job and keep their legs. One hundred percent. You know, you gotta. You're not, Swampy's not valuable shooting people, you know? I'm too old for it. Yeah, yeah, you're better off doing the, the EOD work, which is good. And for that matter, man, like you, I have plenty of friends have had to do things under fire, but I don't have a single friend that's had to deal with cluster munitions under fire. So, Matt, props to you, man. That is, uh, I'd rather be shot at than get cluster munitioned. And what's the dud rate? Are you guys seeing an incredibly high dud rate from the Russian munitions? So from the Russian munitions, like the dud rate is huge. Even with stuff that's got a self-destruct mechanism, it's it's absolutely horrendous. A lot of us. Wow. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of questions about the, excuse me, I forget the designation of the uh, U.S. cluster munitions that were supplied recently. Right. Um, I don't know what the failure rates of those have been like. Um, they came in just after I'd left country this year, um, and then came back in, but I've not been working anywhere where the U.S. Yeah. cluster munitions have been used. Um, I mean, one of, one of the reasons for a lot of the, uh, like the 3B30 cluster munitions is the simple fact that they're being dropped over forested areas, they're being dropped over tree lines. So of course the ribbons get caught up. Yeah. The rounds end up hitting the trees at oblique angles. Um, so that firing mechanism just doesn't work. Right. But even when you look at just normal land, land service ammunition, the artillery and the Mazarans, the failure rate is massive. Wow. No, that's that's terrible. If I remember right, the 3B30 is pretty much like a, like the M42 American submunition, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. So th- this is uh, for, for all our followers, uh, my followers and, and Swampies, the 3B30 is very similar to M42. It's a little ribbon. Uh, and the idea is that it's supposed to keep a pin up, and when it lands, it detonates. So... They, we used to call them the engineer killers in the in the mili- in our military. So what what would you say are like what are your your tools of the trade that you're open to share? Is like what are your defaults? Like for me is a a, how, a hook and line rope. You know uh, what are things that you go to that you never never live home without that are it, it works with most things. Um, if I can, it's generally mine probe, hull kit, and a multi tool. That's that's the absolute basic. If I don't have a hull kit, I've at least got fifty foot of paracord in my pocket, uh, and yeah. I've got a multi tool, and I've I've got a mine probe. Uh, because of the sheer volume of fire there, it's almost impossible to use metal detectors. So the guys wow. that are making the guys that are making the assault do not carry the detectors. Mm. They will not carry them because for the weight of say the six or seven kilo detector, they can carry another six or seven kilos of plastic. Right. I, I makes sense. Whatever they don't use to uh, dem mines, 
on on the route in, it then just starts getting used for chucking in bunkers once they make the assault. Right. No, that's a that's a good point, right? We never we always negate like, well, oh, I'm gonna carry this tool until it's not a valuable tool, right? You're better off using your eyes, and uh, that that makes perfect sense. How many? Are, and this, I'm assuming the guys on the assault are, I'm assuming, much younger fellers. Are they mostly engineers or you have plenty of EOD techs doing the work also? Uh, I mean, the, the Ukrainian military, um, as far as I'm aware, only has a very, very small detachment of EOD. Everyone else is combat engineer. Okay. Um, so, the, I, as I say, the combat engineers and the sappers, they, the, the guys that have been doing it for at least a year, have their head screwed on now. Um, we go back and do kind of refresh courses for them and stuff and try to give them different ways of doing things. And some stuff they will look at and go, oh, that's a great idea, we'll do this. But other stuff you can see when you're teaching them, they're like, it's not applicable. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm I don't, I'm not there to try and teach them this is IMAS standards or this is UK standards or this is US standards. Once you start doing that, you can tell them anything. You can tell them the moon's red. The second they go back to their unit, they will just continue to do what they do. So right. you you have to work around these guys and to give them the best fighting chance, really. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys, even the Sapters, a lot of the guys, they, they won't have a, a HAL kit each. A lot of them don't have mine probes. Uh, the bulk of this kit they're having to buy out of their own pocket. Yeah. So, and the idea of having a, a Z-Bolt uh, CZ trip, uh, Y laser you know, it's, it's out of the question for them because they're a couple of hundred bucks. Right. Guys, some of these guys are only earning maybe a thousand bucks a month. So it's a lot. Right. And it's, it's funny how it all comes back to this. You know, obviously I'm the financial enabler and the money, money is my thing. And, uh, I was, I always wonder at the economic impact on the nation and on the people. You just said that, like they're making a thousand bucks, you know, uh, and I'm sure they have families to feed. You know, very few of them are just single dudes that, well, clearly they're not out partying, right? They've, uh, their priorities are different. Uh, how much, are you seeing any financial strain on these guys when they come back? Is that like, are they, are they just so focused on protecting their country or Ukraine if they're not Ukrainians that they have left the financial concerns aside or they're actually, it's a burden on the daily? Um. Yeah, I think it's probably a mix of both. So I think some guys, the the younger guys and, and the single guys, they're they're in a position where it's not too bad. You know, they they get the monthly wages. They can afford to buy bits of kit because they don't have kids or they don't have a wife. Um, they don't have an apartment or whatever. Um, but for the for the older ones and for people whose family have actually had to relocate because of the war as well, the yeah. the financial burden is huge. I mean, you've you've got Ukrainians that have obviously left Ukraine and gone to Poland because they've got nowhere else to go in Ukraine. Right. But once they go into Europe, the it's so cost inhibiting for them that they all end up coming back to Ukraine. Wow. They have no other choice from a financial point of view. So we we've we've seen a lot. We'll talk about the refugees in Poland, but we're not talking enough about everybody that's coming back. Yeah. That's insane, huh? And what's the cost of living right now, like in Ki Kiev? Right. That's the right way to say it. Is it really expensive or like how, how are they managing on the day-to-day? -day? Like, I, I would say that most people do actually cope pretty well in Kiev. I mean, the, obviously the, the wages are a little bit higher for people that are living and working in Kiev. Um, the cost of living is a little bit more as well. But from a Western standard, it's, it's still very cheap. Um, 
the the cost of fuel at the moment is still quite expensive. I think that's roughly about two dollars a liter at the moment. Wow, um, give or take. I, I don't even know what it is in the U.S. Yeah, um, let the girlfriend do the drive and save me. Um, yeah, smart, smart. <laughs> um, yeah. But the the cost of living in the east of the country is is quite cheap. Um, you know, I mean, you all. I I rented an apartment for my team. Um, when I was working with military intelligence at the end of last year and for a quite a nice two bedroom apartment, I, I think I was paying $350 a month. And I, I knew really, I should have probably only been paying $200 a month for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was the asking price. Yeah. They, they gave you the British price. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah we're going to charge a little extra. You're not from around here. You know, yeah. Yeah. Military, you must... As the Russians would say, we must all be earning $10,000 a month. You must be, right? Of course, there's so many money. So I, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about something that you and I did together. Uh, we connected through Flanders um, and some other people, and we were able to do an operation, an inerting operation via Zoom, yeah. right? Can you, uh, if I remember right, that was the PTM3s or PTM4s? Uh, PTM4s. PTM4s, right? And look it up, guys. Is uh, If I... Um, what was the system that fires it? The Gersh? It's a magnetic. Uh, yeah. But what, what was it? What is the the munition that the system that fires it? Oh, sorry. Um, it's generally fired from cassette from Oregon. Either Oregon or Smirsh rockets. They're Smirsh. Okay. So it's a cassette landmine, and you know we got some contact that they, they had gotten a hold of some and. We wanted to inert them, right? We wanted to get some information on them. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that, and uh, what was your experience with the with the Americans that were help that helped you out with that? If if any, if they were valuable to you. Um, well, I mean, I don't remember anyone else being in the room with me. <laughs> Not that I blame anyone. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was my first time taking apart a PTM four. Um, I was able to obviously speak to you guys and speak to some other people as well, just to get a a couple of pointers on it before I did start stripping it down in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, which a lot of a lot of ammo technicians would go, you can't do that. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't have a laboratory or a garage to do it in. So yeah, you make the most of it. Um, it's a really annoying submunition to FFE. Um, yeah. I think it was it was designed by the Russians to be quite annoying. The way the detonator actually runs through this kind of like a bulkhead in in the main charge, uh, which stops you being able to take it out without smelting the TNT. Wow. Which yeah, under proper conditions would be fine, um, but maybe not in the kitchen. No, no, no. You were doing with what you had. And the, what was that? What were your, what tools did you have for that while you were dealing with that, uh, with a PTM4? Uh, screwdriver, cable ties. Okay, that's it? That's all you needed, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I like it. You know, I, I, and I think that there's a we point. Zoom, if I remember rightly. I know. Yeah, yeah. Signal, yeah. Yeah, which I think that one thing I'm, I'm, I'm personally trying to highlight is that Two things, right? Like you said that you can teach these guys the American way. You can teach them the British way. They're going to go back to do it what works for them in their battlefield, right? And we can teach doctrinal uh, inerting in a shop with uh, the right devices, remote devices, whatever. But that is not realistic for you in that moment. And you still made it happen. Is it the safest? Probably not. I'm sure we could argue that it was not the safest op, but you made it happen. So I'm really trying to highlight to to young service members that like you can make things happen if you're creative and play it safe. But right? I'm sure that you applied a lot of experience. Have you done a lot of 
taken apart ordnance before that? Yeah, I do. I do a lot of landmines. So I do a lot of uh, PMM1. I've started doing PMM4 now. They're a bit of a tricky one to uh, to get the debt and the booster out of. Um, but the rest of the PMM4 is quite good. And I, I do it a lot with the, the Mon series and the TM series. Uh, and it's mostly, it's either I take them and I blow them up or I FFE them and then I pass them on to units to use as training equipment. Uh, okay. As much as we'd like to be able to send lots of money to uh training ordnance companies like um uh, is it oh yeah inert pro i think it is you know i mean they they make some great packages but the the problem is when you when you're not actually earning any money um i can you know you can't afford a couple hundred dollars for a for a pmm one when we have right. tens of thousands of them so just yeah. ffe them so what is the main purpose? So your main purpose in, in inerting them is to put them back out to units to train. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Otherwise, we just blow everything in situ because, as I say, the, the booby trapping now is getting quite technical. Um, it's still pretty much caveman techniques, a lot of mechanical stuff, but it's becoming right. so peripheral. Um, you know, you just can't trust anything. It's like, why, right. why would I even bother? If I can just right. go in and dem it in place, fine. Um, I, I put a video up the other day. I think you might have seen it of me probing around a PMM2. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people were saying, well, we know it's a PMM2 to blow it up. That's great. But what we're seeing in some places in Ukraine, depending on what units, what Russian units have actually laid the mines, uh, we have had cases where even uh, AP mines, they're having deck cord daisy chains put underneath them. Oh wow! If that just if that just leads down the track to a to a one fifty two or whatever, okay, so be it. It's it's not good, but it's not the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And if that then runs above ground and goes into a couple of directional uh, mines aiming up and down the track, I want to know about that before I start damming stuff because right. in a lot of places we don't have the space to be able to go back a um, hundred meters to a safe distance or fifty meters to a safe distance. You know, it's, we got to keep pushing. We got to keep moving. So. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me to think that like, you know, armchair quarterback and a guy disarming a line mine. And I it's mean, like, yeah. To do it, you know? yeah, of course. It's just funny. Right. Yeah. It's like, great. Uh, you have any opinions? You want to come and do it? No, I, most I, people are not. I'm always open to constructive criticism. I right. Always, um, you know, I mean, because my, my route into EUD wasn't the normal route as a lot of people would do. I've relied quite heavily on the good grace of, um, of EOD techs and ammo technicians and other people providing me with information for me to be able to learn and survive. Uh, right. And what's happened. So constructive criticism, absolutely fine. Happens yeah. Yeah. How did you learn EOD? Was it just in the battlefield? Um, or did you just get a, a, a cert from a, a cereal box? I don't know. <laughs> you just put it on replay, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just play it in my sleep, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, VR headset on. Uh, yeah. No, so I, I, um, I, I joined the British Army in 2000, but I busted my knee, and I came out in 2001. Um, uh -huh. I was quite annoyed by that. But to be honest, if I'd have stayed in the British Mail, I probably never would have gone down the EOD route. It wasn't something that I even thought about at that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I started getting involved in Southeast Asia and Myanmar with the Kren National Liberation Army, uh, uh -huh. Kren National uh, Defense Organization. 
met a couple of old 80s, mid-80s, late 90s uh, mercenaries that were there, uh, mostly Australian, a couple of Germans and a Brit. Um, they very kindly taught me a few things about explosives and mines, and that carried on there for a number of trips that I went back over into Crown State. And then on my second to last trip, I met with a British EOD tech that used to be the country manager for a lot of humanitarian mine action organizations. Okay. And he, I mean, he was in country as well, illegally, um, but he was setting up a mine clearance project, project out of his own pocket in two villages. And I just saw the need for what they were doing. And because I'd been into country before and had a bit of a better understanding of how slow things go as a start, um, I, I stayed on with them and just said, look, will you, will you teach me everything you know? And um, so, yeah, so we, we spent six months on the first project, cleared two villages. Um, I've been back a couple of times since then as well. And then I got heavily involved with Ukraine in 2014. Wow. That's awesome. So no, cla no true classroom. No, not till um, I I have been and sat my level one and two IMAS um, cool. qualifications, and I just need to finish off doing my three and three plus. Yeah. Um, at the moment, it's not. Although it's it's nice to have those qualifications, they're not completely applicable with the work that I'm doing in Ukraine because right. a lot of the work I cannot clear to IMAS standard. I can apply the safety standards, and that's fine. Um, but to apply the rest of the humanitarian standards it doesn't completely fit in a war setting. Right. And then for, for everybody, IMAS is International Mine Action Standards, right? Uh, so it's a, it's a big, big deal to be able to do uh, mine clearance in UXO work to those standards post-conflict, right? Is that, am I correct? Uh, Swampy is after conflict. So doing it in conflict, uh, those standards are, are out the door. And it's funny, I was, I was teaching the Filipinos IMAS and they're like, yeah, great. I want to do this now. You know, we're about to uh, d do it live and it's, it's totally different. So what would you say is um, what are the things that you need? What did, do EOD techs and engineers need to be successful from here on now with the, with the conflict? Or is it just a sheer matter of like more people to do the work? Um, as in Ukraine, yes. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's a mix of things. So a more standardized amount of tra uh, standardized training uh, would be better. Um, I think anyone that's having to deal um, with mines and UXO who are supposed to be a sapper and right. um, should be getting a minimum of a month training. I know it's hard for them to pull people off the front line to be able to do that. But if they don't do it, um, they're not going to get anywhere. Uh, the second thing is the understanding that a a sapper is just part of the cog. He's part of the machine. Mm. You know, um, just because you need a thousand meters clearing to an enemy trench, and th and these are the distances we're talking about. You know, we're not talking about clearing the last twenty five meters before an assault. We can be talking clearing a kilometer, two kilometers, two and a half kilometers leading up to the assault, oh. and then having to jump in with the assault team to then clear as they go through. Um, so you can imagine the mental and physical strain on these guys. Uh, right. By the time they've even got to the firefight. Um, so they need 
from outside support. They need the support with equipment. They need the support with good training. Um, and then from an internal level, they need, they do need the support from, uh, their units and their battalions and their regiments to be able to accomplish the mission properly. Right. That's so, so complex. We forget how, think, uh, you know, um, how complex this job is when you're out, out in, the, in the moment. And I can't imagine how long it takes to clear a kilometer of, of mines, right? Like we would have to sweep kilometers to get vehicles in Afghanistan, but we're talking about like max two IDs. We're not talking like 10, 20, maybe 50 mines, right? Uh, which with that, how many mines do you normally see in a kilometer or like what's the most you've seen better set? Um, so I, I'm, I'm very specific on how I actually pick my routes when I am clearing. Um, I will, I will take the path of least resistance where I think there's going to be the least, least mines. If I'm just clearing a route for the military to get them from point A to point B, I, I will look at the quickest route that I can take for them and the quickest route that I can clear. Um, but you will see hundreds of mines, hundreds of mines, uh, depending on the area that you're in. Um, so some of the areas that are being breached by Ukrainian forces at the moment, uh, we're being told that there's contamination of between four to five mines per square meter. And I've, I've seen the photos. I'd be happy to share privately with you some of the photos of that. Right. Um, because if you, if you look at kind of the aerial footage of Ukraine in the east, if you take yourself out of the villages, out of, this, out of the towns and cities, it's just patchwork of fields. Right. And cross-sectioning these fields is tree lines. Now... Ukrainian forces really cannot push across those open fields. They just open themselves up to drone attack, to rocket artillery and artillery and mortar attack, and then obviously tank fire as well. Um, so they cannot really make big open ground pushes without losing a lot of vehicles. So what you have is the infantry pushing up through these tree lines to try and flush the Russians out, tree yeah. line by tree line. Um, and at the moment, in a lot of the places, the Russians are only using skeleton crews in these tree lines. You know, a, a tree line that's maybe eight, 800 meters to 1,000 meters long, it might only have six to eight guys at the closest oh. part towards the Ukrainians. But if the Ukrainians make a push, the Russians have already laid so many landmines, they literally have rat runs between the tree line, running through the tree line. And as they pull back, they will have caches of PMM2 or PMM4 in rucksacks. And they will just they will just litter them as they go, and they're they're only surface laid, but that, wow. that's all it it's all it needs to be. It's more than enough, yeah. And I'm sure that there's plenty of infantrymen stepping on them, oh, though yeah. though like it's pretty obvious to see it. But in that moment, you're focused on shooting or following a guy, uh, which is that that's insane, right? We we talked in Afghanistan back laying IDs, right? I've never had to deal with back laid PMNs. Sounds way worse, you know. I, I don't want to deal with that, so. I, I, since it's big on the news, uh, what are you hearing of, uh, of you know, Prigozhin dying? Is that a big, is that a big boost of morale for the Ukrainian forces and the Allied forces that are there, uh, or is this just uh, part of the cog? If it's true at all, um, I mean, given that today, I don't know if it's still today in Ukraine at the moment, but it is Ukrainian Independence Day. I think it's an absolutely fantastic thing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it good. Many, it, I wish it could have happened a bit sooner, but. Um, there is always, I, I do like to play devil's advocate. Um, there is always in the back of my mind going, is it real? Is it just him getting a, um, a retirement policy effectively? Uh, yeah. I mean, there is always two sides to it. 
And even if they turn around and said, oh, here's a DNA evidence, well, how the hell am I supposed to know? Uh, but yeah. I'd like to think he's dead. Um, yeah. The only question now is what will happen with Wagner because Putin and Russia will not want Wagner to go away. They are, they've been doing a lot to bring in money from places like Africa, uh, from guarding mineral resources and oil resources. So uh, I don't think Putin would want to see Wagner gone anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But having a change of leadership would be helpful to the Russians. Yeah, yeah. With that, um, have you noticed a, dr- or because again, I've never sp- spoken to anybody about this. Is there a drastic difference in the quality of fighter from Wagner compared to the regular Russian army? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, That's it. I mean, the, the new, as far as we're aware, uh, the, the paid soldiers of Wagner, not the ones that are dragged out of the prisons, but the, um, the ex-Russian Marines and the ex-Russian paratroopers um, and FSB guys and people that had joined on to Wagner um, were being paid good money. Wow. A good reason to fight. Right. Uh, from a financial point of view, yes, it's mercenary work, but mercenary work, private security company, where'd you find the balance, you know? Um, but the, the quality of their fighters, I do believe, was much better than what the Ukrainians are dealing with with the Ukrainian. Uh, sorry, with the Russian army. Um, they certainly seem to be able to take ground back a little bit a little bit better now. Um, so we'll just have to see what happens, really. Yeah. Are the mine TTPs about the same amongst Wagner and the Russian army, or, or can you guys tell a difference? You know what? A lot of the time, there's honestly no rhyme, no reason to how a lot of the mines are laid. Um, if we look, if we look at the, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this or not. If we, if you we, can, it, okay. If we look at the absolute clusterfuck, which is <laughs> right now, um, sorry, that, that one no, to, that one to three kilometer kind of strip of no man's land. Um, it's offensive mines, it's defensive mines, it's nuisance mines, it's cluster munitions. It's mm. the odd, bo- it's booby traps and there, there will be the odd IEDs mixed in with it. Um, and there's there's no true mapping to this. It's just chaos. Wow. But thankfully, one of the things that are actually is actually working now is um, thermal drones on like DGIs. It's something that myself and my team are looking to try and get at the moment because for stuff that's surface laid, it it is actually working really well. Uh, it's a nice. But then if we look behind the the Russian front line at the moment, and all the way back to where the main Russian lines are dug in, this is where you do start to see more standardized minefields that have been in place. Um, and there is a couple of Russian mine maps that have been found. I, I do have copies of them. And and these are, you know, they're, they're proper produced mine maps. They give you the grid references. They give you the, the type of mines that have been put in, the amount of mines that have been put in. Um, and I'll, 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 again, I'll send you a picture privately and it's, the yeah. is staggering. I mean, one of these maps, it doesn't show a huge area. It's maybe five by three K, I think. I've, I've not had time to actually properly look at the map. But in that area alone, there's 16,700 TM62s alone. It's just one map. And that's, that's, that's mine. There's, there's like 10 different mine sets. On there. You know, that is insane. 
you know yeah how do you, you can't even you can't even compare that with a bad day in afghanistan with 20 ieds no like i mean there's there was an interesting um there was an interesting bit of tv footage put out not so long ago and it was ukrainian soldiers being trained on the leopards in germany uh, and they were being interviewed by a news crew how did they feel about the training and the ukrainians said well you know we the tank training is fantastic and we're really really grateful thank you very much um however when we asked the germans what do we do about the minefield how do we go across the minefield this the germans just told them to drive around it it's like don't think you fully understand the situation on the ground here you know it's a it's almost a thousand kilometers of minefield up and down the front line yeah yeah there's no there's no going around it no yeah that that is insane now on the on the projectiles guided missiles uh, what are your what are your TTPs with those? Are you just trying to blow in place, remote move them to a better place, or are you guys having to render safe a lot? Um, it totally depends on the state of the fusing. Right. Yeah, it all just comes down to the fusing. So if it's something that's come in and knocked the fuse off, I'll literally just pick it up and, and get rid of it. You know, I'm not too worried about that. Obviously, with rockets and stuff, it does. we do want to make sure that Obviously, the the rocket motor is completely burnt out. Um, I'm not a big fan of moving even small stuff like RPGs because of it being piezoelectric. I'm not a big fan of doing it. Unfortunately, in some situations, just don't have a choice. So yeah, um, we just do what we can. If we can if we can hook and line stuff out of the way, even just into a dem's pit, even if we're not going to dem it immediately, if yeah. we can just get it below ground level out of the way, we'll do that. If we can dem stuff in place, we'll do it. Um, the The problem with deming a lot of stuff in place for us literally just comes down to explosive stores. It's having yeah. enough detonators. It's having enough deck cord because yeah. there's so much UXO. If you're doing single items, you know, never get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and and nobody's gonna be able to supply that sheer number of uh, uh, explosives for all the, that operation. So. That's it. That's it. What kind of explosives are you guys using? Um, so generally Soviet PVV-5A, which is the same fill as the Mon-50 and Mon-90. So we can always check okay. it out of them as well. Uh, we've been getting Chemex-B blasting, quarry, uh, quarry blasting explosive. Um, I'm yet to find a use for it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's great for quarry work, but everything else yeah. is shocking. Um, I tried to destroy a pile of 23 millimeter high explosive with it. Um, I'm just grateful I did it in a quarry where I, I do a lot of dams because I did have to walk around and pick up that. <laughs> you kick out after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was, it wasn't one of my, my best dams. Um, we are getting uh, American slab. There is British slab in country. Um, there is German plastic. I forget the designation for it. And this stuff's really soft. It's really nice. So mm. if you've got something like, um, like a disrupting EFP, uh, or anything like that, that you need, you know, self-loaded pack, um, great. You know, it's, it's really, really nice. I, I like that over C4 because I just learned mm. that this stuff is so malleable, but it compresses yeah. without any air pockets. So, oh, that's awesome. If you're using an EFP, you know, you get. You get a nice proper shockwave through that. That's incredible. That's awesome. I've never, I've never messed with anything German. So that's a, man, you have so much knowledge. I, we literally could talk for hours. Now, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about finances. So what's, and this is something that I always wonder about people. 
you're doing something incredible that is way beyond getting paid. But at the end of the day, especially now that you're, you know, you're soon to be a father, what are your, what are your goals and dreams, uh, you know, post Swampy at conflict? Um, I mean, at the, so at the moment, my, I, I met my partner in Ukraine. My partner's sick, ex us air force. Um, uh, she's a paramedic. So she was out doing paramedicine in, in Ukraine. Um, and we met out in the east of the country, um, <laughs> start of the year. Um, nice. Yes. Been a quick roller coaster. Um, so at the moment we're actually setting up a 501c3 charity out of Utah at the moment to be able to continue doing our work in Ukraine. Um, but we're looking to predominantly do EOD, uh, emergency trauma medicine, and then humanitarian aid. And nearly all of that work will be supporting the national police of Ukraine. Um, so we've been offered an official partnership with them once we, we finalize everything. Uh, we already supply, we've been supplying them since last year with donated equipment and things. Um, and at the moment, part of our team is now teaching, uh, English language to EOD, police EOD wow. in Ukraine so that when they do go to foreign countries to train, uh, obviously they have that language base. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the project that we're doing. Um, however, we do need to try and find ways to, to earn money in the middle of this. Um, yeah. at the moment I've got a little bit of consulting work, um, with a training company that provides EOD training. Mm -hmm. um, so that's mostly across Europe, but it's not, it, it's really good. My, it's really good work. And I'm learning a lot from actually doing that work as well, because it's, it's mm -hmm. out of my normal. Um, but I do need to be able to find more, more work really. Um, right. The idea to potentially be able to do bits of consulting in the U.S. would be would be nice, um, preferably from an EOD point of view. But we'll uh, we'll see. At the end of the day, once the baby's born, um, however the money comes in, I'm gonna have to make it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, you know, maybe uh, hopefully I can help out with that. You know, I don't know. I'm sure that there's people out there looking to pick your brain, right? To there's you have invaluable experience. You know, you're, you know, you're in a country now full of all these, my generation of guys, ton of war experience. And I don't put myself in that list, but now here comes a guy with the like latest conflict, typically top TTPs that are working. Right. And you're probably going to challenge all our thoughts or like, oh, I want to do this. And your guys are going to be like, Jaime, the brilliant, I'm sure works. Do it this way. If you ever deal with this, this environment, which is. I hope we find you something. So with that, like post-conflict, let's say Ukraine is all done. What do you see your life with your, with your partner, uh, the life for your kids? Uh, you th let, assuming you want to stay in America, like wh what do you want to take it? Um, I mean, the, the charity that we're setting up, um, so let's say we're setting up, in, setting up out of Utah as 501c3, uh, but then with an NGO in Ukraine as well. But we would like to be able to carry on this charity long afterwards. So that might mean that Obviously, the EOD work's never going to end in Ukraine before I'm dead. Um, no. I mean, this is going to go on for 100 years to try and clean this country up. Right. Um, and don't let anyone say anything otherwise. If they want to see a landmine free Ukraine, 100 years. Wow. So, I mean, it's just a huge country. It's an absolute huge country. So from a humanitarian point to be able to say it's mine free, yeah, 100 years. Uh, I mean, they're still clearing Cambodia. How long has that been? Forever. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Um, so we, we'd like to carry on with the charity uh, from the medical side of things and the humanitarian side. So obviously natural disasters in the US, obviously yeah. and in, in Hawaii recently. Um, so th there's different options for us to be able to help in a humanitarian medical capacity. Um, but I think from an EOD point of view, um, the on the ground work will be in Ukraine. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, my yeah. family's in the UK. Um, so Ukraine's kind of in the middle of the UK and the US slightly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's there's just that like, there's always that like that real big blob of two countries right in the way, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who cares, right? So cool, man. And and one thing that I, I want to extend is like, uh, now that because I I didn't know you were in America, uh, if there's anything that I can do for for you and your your partner, right, to like maybe find refinements to put more money in you guys's pockets, we'd love to help. Um, and the ones at 5013C, I'm definitely going to push it hard. But uh, as you know, my mission, especially with your, your partner being former Air Force, is truly about how do we maximize service members' wealth, right? And how do we make sure that I can either put more dollars in your pocket, keep, keep less dollars out of the government's pocket so that you guys can live the life that you dream of, give the kid the life that they, you guys dream of for, for them, and uh, ultimately make that massive impact, which... I just realized something, and I'm going to tell you, I was trying to ask you like a financial and life goal, and everything came back to 5013, uh, 501c3 in Ukraine. And it, yeah. I like that because it proved to me that at this point of the swampy, your partner's life, there's almost nothing beyond that. No, I mean, you know, the I know that the second our, our daughter's born, it's, it's going to change a lot of things. It's going to change yeah. the way we, that we think about a lot of things. Uh, yeah. the most important thing in our lives will be the, her health, you know, it's it yeah. helping her happiness. And that is the most important thing. Um, but as a realist as well, we also need to look at what makes us happy. What, what brings us as a family. Oh yeah. Um, and that is helping other people. So. Yeah. And, and I love that because in being in the world of finance, I'm fortunate to talk to a lot of wealthy people and all of them, all of them totally agree. The most important thing is giving value. Like they like, I, it's incredible to talk to a millionaire or a billionaire. He's like, it almost doesn't matter how much money I have if I'm not giving value to people. Yeah. And that's, and again, there's, they're for, they've done a lot of work to get there, but you have now the value, right? So now if you had a billion dollars, you would just have more impact, right? Maybe train more EOD techs, who knows, which is incredible work, man. And uh, I, I feel very fortunate that I was even connected to, with you way back, uh, cause you're doing awesome stuff and hopefully I can help your 513 C3s and, and help you make that awesome change for, for let's say not even for Ukraine or against Russia, just for the well being of people. Right. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. If, if the, if the war finishes tomorrow, it's, you know, outside of the people that are actually clearing up the landmines, it's the families and the kids that have to deal with this. Oh yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of Russian men that are like incredible people that are just stuck in this problem. And it's, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like for these countless mothers and wives to be like, oh yeah, I'm burying another son. Oh, here comes another Ivan that we just had to bury. And it's like, nobody really wants that. Right. It's uh, 
So yeah, any any final thing, any final messages that you want to send to your audience? You know, you have a big following. Um, any messages that you want to send for young service members that are watching the war or uh, that, that you want to share with? Um, yeah, a couple of things. I think firstly, just thank you ever so much to everyone uh, that has supported us over the last uh, year, year and a half. Uh, and the people who have supported and followed me ever since 2014, 2015. Um, without your support, I would never have been able to have done a lot of the stuff I've been able to do to help Ukraine. Uh, I'm very grateful to the people that, that haven't supported me, but have helped Ukraine, you know. Um, and that doesn't matter if it's people that have sent tens of thousands or millions of dollars worth of equipment or five dollars worth of equipment. Every single little bit helps, you know. Um, Big thank you to all the serving and ex-serving um, members, especially the UAD techs um, and the combat engineers. Your information that you've passed on and your abuses has all been taken very well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. You know, yeah, yeah. Even the abuse, something keeps me keeps me giggling at night, you know, when I'm having a yeah. shit day. Uh, yeah. I am really grateful for that support. Um, we would always be grateful of more support. Um if, if anyone that's listening to this at the moment is in the US or anywhere else, if you have access to kit, um, old kit, spare kit, or if your unit has spare kit or old kit that they are willing to donate to the Ukrainian military or the Ukrainian police, um, I can help facilitate that on an official level, government to government level, um, or just on a private if you just have a couple of bits of kit that you want to pass on. Wow. Lastly, uh, to the guys that are serving at the moment, if you're serving with an EOD unit or a combat engineer unit, I would strongly recommend paying attention to what's going on in Ukraine. Um, one day this conflict will, this war will finish. If Western forces will then be invited to go to Ukraine to work on the ground to help support Ukraine, you're going to be there. You're going to be dealing with this. Yeah. The flip side of that as well is one has to remember that you, the conflict in Ukraine is drawing a lot of people in from both sides of this conflict um, as volunteers. Not all of those people are going to Ukraine or going to Russia to fight in Ukraine uh, with the best intentions. So the potential, uh, certainly in regards to things like IEDs and booby traps, for them to start showing up in other places in the world or even back around our own home countries is very right. likely. So, yeah, take, take notice and... Um, yeah, learn as much as you can. That that's amazing, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll say, and I'll, I'll tell you this afterwards. Uh, I don't know where you're in Utah. I'd rather not say where you are. But if if you have some EOD techs that wanna would like to meet up with you, depending where you are, we'll probably talk about that. But uh, I'm here also to support you, your family. Um, I'm I'm just in New Mexico, not very far. But uh, thank you, thanks again for the opportunity, man. You're literally a, a role model to young EOD techs, and uh, way more experienced than most of us. So this is freaking badass, man. I really appreciate your time. This podcast is not financial advice and it only represents the opinions of those participating. Our goal is to get you to your version of financially independence. Please follow and like on every platform.